Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh my goodness! goodness. Yeah! Yeah, let's go! This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Now joining Spence and Gordon, here's radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. Show on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. As he does every Wednesday this time, and we appreciate his time, it's the radio play-by-play voice, the Utah Jazz, David Locke on the big show. All right, David, here's how I want to frame this. What did you initially think about the draft when you first started digging in, and where are you at with it now? When I first thought, what I heard from everybody else, that this draft was no good, that there weren't any players. Um, and, you know, it was a bad draft. Draft picks in this draft weren't worth anything. That was the talk all year long. I couldn't disagree more with it. Um, there might not be great star power. Um, even that I'm not entirely convinced to be true. Um, so often I think a draft is simply defined by the freshman class is not refined yet, but I think there's plenty of players um, that are really quite interesting um i think it's incredible in the sense that and maybe this is why people characterize the draft this way so and i talked to chad ford about this this week there's there's a tier at the top there's either one or two tiers and it's simmons and ingram and some people believe that there are two separate tiers and then there's a third tier that probably runs down to about nine and then the next tier might be as much as 10 through 34 um, and I think we talked about that last week. And that makes this draft particularly interesting. And, for example, the kid that Jazz had in today, DeJounte Murray, has been 32 in some uh, pod, er, some mock drafts. And I think, you know, I also think he'd go 12 to the Jazz. So, uh, you know, it's, they're all over the map. And he's a good example. He's 6'5". He's got arms, 6'9 arms. He's lightning fast. I was stunned when I we talked to him afterwards how wide his shoulders are. Um, and how big he is. So if he adds some weight, he hasn't much, done much lifting in his in his life. He suddenly could become a real beast. He he's not very refined. He doesn't shoot well and hasn't shot well yet in his career. He's been able to blow by everybody his entire career, and he's going to have to learn some other skills. But that doesn't mean he might not be a tremendous, tremendous NBA player. So David, every time I, I check the mock drafts, and then I look at the names uh, of interest, and I go and I go check out the video of them and do some. Uh, reading on them just to get an idea of what's going on here. But as I check those mock drafts, just like you said, they are all over the map as far as what the Jazz are going to do. When you talked with Chad, does he have a thought? No, I think we both talked uh, off the air for a while about the fact that, um, you know, you go freeze frame some of these mock drafts or screen share them right now and and go dig them up uh, a month later and there's going to be some funky things that take place. Um, and it's going to be, you know, a lot of Chad was talking to me about the fact that a lot of what he does is, you know, he can get teams usually to give them three or four guys that they're kind of looking at. They won't say, Hey, we're going to draft this guy, but 
you know, these three guys are in our ballpark, and then he can reasonably kind of work on that and say, well, then it looks like these guys are going to go in these spots. And the other one Chad mentioned that I thought was most interesting was that one of the exercises, and I do this all the time, I think I, I may have even done this on the air with Spence a little bit last year, is you, you try to find the backstop on players, and that's really a good way to mock a draft is, you know, you look at it and you're like, all right, there's no way that, you know, Ben Simmons can get by two, right? He's going to go one or two, and Ingram's not going to get – you know, you just put the backstop on every player – some of these guys just don't have a, you know, the backstops. There's a bunch of guys whose backstops are 24 or 30. And, and then there's a guy like Scal Labossier who has got all sorts of question marks about his motor and whether he loves the game, whether he's really got what it takes to play that hard. And, but his skill set is so incredible that I, I don't think, you know, I don't think if you're at 14 or one of these teams that have two, so many teams have two picks that you can possibly let him go. So, you know, there are some guys that have so much talent, I think their backstop is definable in the middle of the first round. But there's other guys like Murray, whose backstop is probably 34, and his peak is maybe 12 or earlier. What does it say to you about the college game that guys like, you know, uh, you know guys like Murray that you mentioned, uh, who showed some things early on but didn't have a great year, and even, you know, Marquise Chris, both of the Washington kids weren't awesome DeJounte Murray, who the Jazz had in today. What does it say about the college game that, you know, a lot of these kids just don't perform well when they're in school and then pros get a hold of them and they look at them as top 10, top 10 type prospects? Uh, I thought this was interesting. I was sitting with Tim Lacombe, BYU assistant coach. Dave Rose was there today as well. And, um, and someone's got to help me out here. I'm going to totally uh, forget the kid's name uh, who played for BYU that was working out on one side of the floor. Murray was over on the other side. Chase, Chase Fisher. But there's the kid from BYU. What's, who is it? Chase Fisher. Chase Fisher. Chase Fisher helps you win more college games than DeJounte Murray. Right? Don't you kind of think? I could make an argument for that. Right? So, but, but, like, Chase Fisher's never playing a second of NBA basketball. I mean, he might get paid in Europe. He can shoot it, um, but he's a great. Oh, he's he's committed. He's going. Dejounte Murray's going to college for a different reason, and so it just just shows how crazy different the college game is. The other one, just watching Murray, watching Wade Baldwin, the fourth, who I, I do like a lot. Uh, I, I find it hard for the Jazz to pass him if he's at twelve, uh, unless they really like Davis out of Michigan State or someone like that. Um, you know, there's just no space. You know, what's interesting is the college game has so little space on the floor. The officiating got better this year. I can tell when I'm watching games this year. The players can at least move. But there's no space. Contrast that, the NBA game is just getting more and more and more space on the floor. I mean, it used to be a big deal to have three guys out. Now you got four guys on the floor. At times you got five out. And I start watching some of these guys like Murray and Baldwin who have this incredible length and this great burst and this and you just start to think of them in space, and you start to get excited. In some ways, for some of these kids, it's going to be a much easier game for them to play initially in the NBA, for them to become great, and it's going to be whether they have the work ethic and the desire. But to be able to play a little bit, just kind of where their strengths are, there's a lot of ways where the NBA game is going to be better for them than what they had to deal with at college. David, I can't uh, be specific or even characterize it, really, but I just have a suspicion that the Jazz might – move out of the draft, at least that, that 12 pick. And I don't even have anything to really base it on. Do you have any, in, in your conversations with people, are you getting any sense for what uh, Dennis Lindsay might do? The only energy that I get 
in these conversations leads me to believe otherwise slightly, but it also leads to a draft philosophy that might be different than we've seen in the past, which is I think there's a hope in the organization that they're not drafting in this spot again for quite some time. And so there's a hope and a feeling and maybe a draft philosophy that this is one of our last shots to get another young player who could develop under our tutelage and in our organization. And so, you know, it also might mean, and I can't quite get anyone to totally bite on this, but it, it leads me to believe that, you know, if a, that maybe a, a guy we saw today like a Jante Murray or Scalabossier slips or something like that, then maybe you're really willing to go shoot the moon a little bit on a player uh, because it's one of your last chances. And if, if you happen to hit, uh, you're not going to get a player of this kind of elite talent level out of the draft again. So I find myself believing that they're less likely um, to do something of that sort. Um, the only area where I might change on that is I don't know the impact, but there's a chance that Alec Burks just became untradeable today uh, with that announcement. I I don't know if that's the truth. I mean, someone would have to really do medical reports on him, and and I don't know how squeamish other teams get on on something of that sort. But if Alec is not a tradable asset any longer, then the Jazz don't have a lot of tradable assets to try to make a move to really help their depth or make a big-name player. And and so then if you're – you know, if suddenly New Orleans – uh, Indy, Drew Holiday, Indiana, George Hill, Sacramento, Rudy Gay calls and says, you know, we're willing, we'd like the 12th pick and we're going to send you one of those guys. Well, now all of a sudden, does that change your opinion? Uh, because it changes your roster so dramatically immediately in, which, in what you're doing with that pick. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's hard. The, the, the drastic thick salary. This is really, really important. If you fall asleep, because this is the longest answer in mankind, uh, listen to the next sentence, because this is what's important to realize. The salary cap is going up 25%. The rookie-scale contracts are still under the same collective bargaining agreement and have not changed at all. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the more underrated elements. We talked about this yesterday. When you can get big minutes and value minutes from guys like Rodney Hood and Rudy Gobert, make it a couple of million dollars a year, uh, as opposed to, you know, guys on the other side are getting paid 15, 16, 17 million. I mean, that's, that's smart business, David. That's doing your job. Right. If you can, if you can, now this is where, uh, you know, Denzel Valentine's not a sexy pick. Um, but he knows how to play the game, and he's probably ready to play, and he doesn't have a lot of upside. He's the contrast to everything we've talked about. But if you go draft Denzel Valentine and you realize that, you know what, for the starting next year and for the course of his entire rookie contract, I know I'm getting 23 minutes a night out of him that are going to be solid and acceptable. If you believe he can defend someone enough to do that, well, then you're getting – and you have a 12th or 15th pick of the draft. He's about 2% of your salary cap for 20 minutes a night. Like, that's incredible. David, uh, have you, are you hearing anything about Dante Exum? And I guess a, a further question with that is, what do you make of the Jazz's judgment, judgments of what they have here? Do they think this guy is going to be a star? What are they in their heart of hearts? I think there's some – I think that most people I've talked to uh, still really believe in him. Uh, as a start, I, the, the universal belief is on his mentality, 
his will, his brain, um, on that aspect of him is 100% across the board. Um, reasonably, I think there's some people just wonder, you know, he hasn't played a lot recently, and does he come back from the surgery, and how does he come back from the surgery? Um, there's a few people I've talked to who have absolutely not the slightest worry in the world um, about him and believe he's going to be terrific. Uh, so I, I would say the worry on him is reasonable, the sense that he just had an ACL surgery and to put your head in the sand and think there's no chance that that is ever going to impact him would be stupid. Um, but on the, all the other aspects, non-injury, personality, mental, uh, universally uh, excited about who they have. Austin informs me, David, that you were so bold and brave as to let uh, the fans and listeners play GM on your podcast. How, yeah. How'd that go? Well, actually, it's been interesting. It hasn't gone great. Um, it's interesting. What I've done, actually, is that people are emailing me as though I'm the general manager of another team and sending me a trade. And then I'm via email negotiating with them. And if we come up with a deal, we come up with a deal. And if we come up with a deal, then I'm actually on my podcast uh, revealing it and posting the email exchange both on my google plus and my locked on sports um facebook page to allow people to react to it and just see and so on the first day we traded dante exum in the 12th pick for ricky rubio um if i'm minnesota i'm taking that deal um because they stole the fifth pick it backs up the timeline a little bit but all of a sudden they would have exum the 12th pick the fifth pick carl anthony towns and andre and andrew wiggins and i think they would be working pretty well i'd probably win executive of the year for that um that guy ended up getting a website named after him, fireandywork.com. So the first listener who did it um, got fired. Would, have you, would you trade Dante Exum and the 12th pick to Minnesota for Ricky Rubio? No, I wouldn't either. Okay, today somebody wanted to trade Derek Favors and the 12th pick to Boston for the third pick, their 20th and 32nd. I'm Boston. I took that trade. Um, you know, this is why next time Dennis Lindsay says he doesn't listen to the fans, you should tell him congratulations. Um, if you were the Jazz, would you trade Derek Favors for the third pick, the 12, Favors for, in the 12th for the third, the 20th, and the um, 30, whatever? That's tough, man. I mean, from everything I'm reading, it's pretty much you, you talked about tears and you know, it's like there's one tier if you if you love Ben Simmons, like a lot of people do, and if if you love Brandon Ingram, then he's on that tier as well. Then, from what I understand, uh, I know a lot of people like Jamal Murray, Chris Dunn, Dragon Bender, but are any of those three going to be as good as Favors? That's that, that's hard to do. That's hard for me to, to to do for the Jazz. You know, there's only nine players in the league who average six. I think what Favors average sixteen and eight. There's only nine bigs in the league that average sixteen and eight. Last year. Yeah, I love when everyone says, "Well, he's a twenty and ten guy." No, there's actually like one of those guys every year. While also playing with another center and dealing with significant back, you know, problems, pretty, pretty big time. You have a lot of favors, and uh, you know, we won't know till September. That's what makes it difficult. Maybe you will know before September if you can hold the conversations. He's up for an extension, and the Jazz could use their cap space. Uh, the way his contract is, he's avail- they could extend him. You don't maxi, you know, in exchange, basically, you rip up the final years of his deal. You up him from whatever he's going to be, what was he going to be at, like 14 or something, to in the 20s. You don't have to max him. So in exchange, the Jazz would get, hey, we're going to extend you 
in exchange for you not taking the max, but we're also going to tear up your contract that you have right now. So then you're making probably an extra, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but 10 or 15 million over the next two years that you wouldn't make otherwise. And suddenly favors is lined up for the next, you know, four years here in this market. And that that's a pretty big deal. He's one of the few players in the league that's eligible for that extension. And that might be the most prudent way for the Jazz to use all their excess cap space. David, since you are the GM of other teams, whatever team is being offered a trade that the, the, the listeners of the podcast are coming up with, as you look at the Jazz roster and as you're trying to improve the team that you're the general manager of, which asset of the Jazz is, is most attractive to you? Oh, I want Gordon. Gordon, Rudy, your favors. That's what I take every trade back to. You know, everybody wants to offer me Trey Burke and Alec Burks and Tibor Plyce, and I'll take every, and and, I'll, and I'm interested in Rodney Hood from the other teams. Um, but I'm going to get back to, you know, a lot of as the Clippers GM, I've taken a lot of calls for uh, for the Jazz GMs for Blake Griffin and his one year left on his contract, and I think I've got somebody close to give, giving uh, giving me Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors for Blake Griffin. If you if if you had to pay if they if somebody was offering you a deal and gave you your choice of those three players, which one is it, Gordon? I'm taking Gordon. Um, one is I I think he's just far better than people uh, realize. Um, second, uh, I think if he ever ends up with another player near his caliber next to him, he's going to then get even better. Um, I also think he's far better defensively than we talk about. You know, the Jazz allowed the, I think, the second fewest points to small forwards uh, of anyone in the NBA this year. And number one, you know, you hear that and you're like, well, that's a silly stat. Yeah, except for the fact it's a silly stat until you look at it and realize that number one was San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard. You know, number three was Memphis, Tony Allen. Number four was Cleveland, LeBron James. Number five, I don't remember who it was off the top of my head, but it made sense. Like, the, four of the other five made sense. So you suddenly look at it and you say, well, maybe Gordon Hayward makes sense. And he's 6'9", he's long, he's got great lateral movement, he's strong as heck for that position, he's one of the stronger. So he's actually a pretty darn good defensive player. He's versatile, he can slide one through three, maybe even one through four defensively. Uh, he's a fabulous passer in a game where you have to pass. So, yeah, if I'm an opposing team, uh, the first guy I'm asking for is is Gordon, and the second guy I'm asking for is Derek, and the third guy I'm asking for is Rudy. Would you take Gordon even though you might lose him as a free agent after a year? No, because I think if I've traded for him, I'll show him the commitment. Depending, unless I'm Milwaukee, and then I, you know, then I'm in a holy hell so city. So, just kidding. Or Oklahoma City, which is just a movie set. Then I'd have to be careful. But, um, you know, I, I I think that you have to be a little. Depends the player. Like I think, if the Jazz were to go acquire Blake Griffin, that would be quite a risk, right? For the amount you're you're giving up to go get Blake Griffin, who's on the last year of his contract, who's been in the major market, who's a you know got a major deal, and I mean, there's some real aspects where the small market just wouldn't work for him, and the fact that everyone in the world has cap space. Um, but if I'm if I'm acquiring Gordon Hayward and I'm another team, I, I'd have to assume that I could give him an environment that's good enough to make him stay. And we like yeah, our, I'm willing to pay him. And we like our assistant trainers. We don't want anyone punched in the face. There's always that. Right. Well, I don't know if we really do like our assistant trainers. No, I'm just kidding. I'll leave that one to you. Hey, last thing, then we'll set you I'm loose. Uh, last thing, then we'll set you loose. The thought on the finals, I mean, look, we've talked about it. Play Channing Fry, okay, go Mozgov, whatever. I'm just not sure there's an answer, man. I really, I'm really not sure there is. I said to you guys, I think, at the very beginning of the series that the way I thought Cleveland would win a game is that they'd go hit, you know, 
14 threes in a game. You know, they go 14 for 20. You remember, uh, I think you asked whether there'd be like 80 threes taken or something like that, Gordon. And uh, the Warriors just don't allow them to get enough off, which is another tribute to how great the Warriors are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the way that, I think the way they win it is, frankly, I would slow it down and just shoot a bunch of threes um, if they happen to go in. But I don't know if they can get them off with the way the Warriors switch defensively and they can't take it, get, get an edge. Uh, the other one, this gets a little XE and OE, but they just don't have the creativity they need to have. You've got to be running some – off-ball screens and off-ball interchanges to create some switches early that can then create the matchups that you want on the ball to create some action and work yourself deep into the clock uh, to do that. Tyrone Lou's answer, which is, we'll play fast before the defense gets that, like, sounds like seventh grade, uh, you know, would be a little more sophisticated than that. And, and you know, run run LeBron off a Curry, you know, off a Kyrie Irving pick early in the possession off the ball while it's being by while maybe Delvadova's in the game to take care of the ball, which then gets you know Curry switched on LeBron off the ball, and then you you know you run some things out of that, or you just there's got to be some off the ball creativity before that gets the interchanges before you get on the ball, um, and then also if much the Warriors they just make you make if you're gonna switch everything on them they make you make three or four decisions individually as well as collectively, that it's just too hard to keep up with. And you've got to do some of that same stuff if you're Cleveland. But, no, I think this is this is a tribute to the greatest regular season team and most dominant team we've had in the history of the game. And it should also be a tribute to how great the Spurs and the Thunder are. No doubt, David. You know, Cle- Cleveland's the fourth best team in the NBA. Uh, yep, we would agree. Best. David, thanks for the time, man. Keep up the great work. We'll chat again. See you, guys. David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz.